I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Ricky Birch and Sean Henning stood together on the steps outside a Connecticut courthouse. The sun in their faces, their arms locked in solidarity. The two men, who for 30 years wore the label murderers, wore something different that summer day in 2020. A four-word sentence was emblazoned across Henning's shirt, I didn't do it. Birch's shirt read simply, I am innocent. Convicted in 1989 of the brutal home invasion murder of a 65-year-old man in New Milford, Connecticut, Ricky Birch and Sean Henning were sentenced to 50 years behind bars without any physical evidence tying them to the crime scene. At trial, prosecutors had to explain to a jury how the two men, then only in their teens, managed to beat and stab their victim over 25 times without getting a single drop of his blood onto their clothing. To do so, the district attorney's office relied on the testimony of the state's top pathologist, a man very well known to true crime content enthusiasts, a man by the name of Dr. Henry Lee. Dr. Lee, who today is considered one of the country's foremost experts on forensic science, told the jury at Birch and Henning's 1989 trial about a towel that police discovered in an upstairs bathroom. On that towel, according to Lee, was a single smear of blood visible to the naked eye. 
The implication was clear. Henning and Birch had cleaned up after the murder. That's why investigators never recovered evidence of blood on them or the vehicle they lived in. There was one problem, though. The red smear found on the towel wasn't blood at all. Re-examined two decades later, the Connecticut State Crime Lab concluded the single smear was caused by an inorganic substance. What's worse, Dr. Lee had no way of knowing what the stain was when he testified about it in 1989. The prosecution conceded that neither Dr. Lee nor anyone in his lab actually tested the towel before the teens were convicted and sent away to prison for decades. In 2020, a judge vacated Birch and Henning's felony murder convictions. Subsequent to that, the two men filed a lawsuit in federal court naming eight police officers, the town of New Milford, and Dr. Henry Lee himself. A motion for summary judgment filed last year stated, there can be no genuine dispute that Dr. Lee fabricated evidence that he conducted a positive blood test on a towel at the scene of the murder of Everett Carr in 1985. Plaintiffs Henning and Birch spent more than 30 years in prison after being wrongfully convicted of Mr. Carr's murder, in part, based on Dr. Lee's fabrication. The question now rests in the court of public opinion. Did Dr. Henry Lee make a devastating error on the stand? Or did a man who's investigated some of the country's most prominent crimes of the last three decades lie to obtain a conviction? This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I examine the 1985 homicide of Everett Carr and the legacy of true crime celebrity, Dr. Henry Lee. Everett Carr's life came to a bloody and agonizing end. Alone in his daughter's home in rural New Milford, Connecticut, a small town about an hour southwest of Hartford. Carr heard banging coming from the living room sometime after midnight on December 2nd, 1985. He got out of bed to investigate. In the hallway of the two-story house, the 65-year-old man came face to face with his killers. Everett Carr, a tough-nosed and tattooed trucker who'd spent 30 years driving big rigs across the Northeast, did not go down without a fight, but it wasn't enough. According to the Hartford Current newspaper, the killers trapped Carr in a narrow hallway, pounded on his head with something heavy, and stabbed him 27 times. The knife-wielding attackers slit Carr's throat, severing his jugular vein. Blood spattered the walls from baseboard to ceiling. So much blood had pooled on the floor, that police had to craft a makeshift footbridge to reach the body without trampling through it. The Current reported, the killers tracked blood and left smudged fingerprints around the house in a way that suggested burglary. A piece of a knife, part of a household set thought to be the murder weapon, was found beneath Carr's body. Missing were a video cassette recorder, jewelry, rolls of quarters, and some clothing. 
The truck driver's murder sent shockwaves throughout rural New England, a region unaccustomed to violence, let alone random acts of violence. The case would prove difficult to solve. The perpetrators wore gloves, leaving inconclusive fingerprints at the scene, and DNA was not yet a viable option for ruling out suspects in 1985. Detectives with the tiny New Milford Police Department theorized that Everett Carr was not the target, but had been killed after he stumbled upon a burglary in process. Their investigative work began with reviewing a list of known thieves in the area. Some of the first names they stumbled upon were those of 18-year-old Ricky Birch and 17-year-old Sean Henning. The pair were already well-known to law enforcement. The drug-abusing teens had tallied a rap sheet that exceeded their age. Larceny, burglary, grand theft auto. Their crimes and addiction were intertwined. The drug-addicted teenagers stole items to buy drugs. But were they capable of committing the kind of violence that was visited upon Everett Carr? Despite some doubts within the department, Henning and Birch soon became the prime suspects. Just three days before Carr's murder, the small-time crooks, high on crack cocaine, had stolen a 1973 Buick Regal and driven it to New Hampshire to see Birch's mother over the Thanksgiving weekend. They were joined by Henning's girlfriend, Tina Yablonski. During the trip, the Buick got stuck in the snow and the boys damaged the muffler attempting to free it. What did any of this have to do with Everett Carr? Turns out, Carr's neighbors told investigators about hearing a noisy vehicle stopped near the victim's house for 20 to 30 minutes on the night of the murder. According to them, it sounded like a car without a muffler. Making matters worse for Birch and Henning, Yablonski's parents told the cops that the friends dropped off their daughter at 11.55 p.m. on December 1st at their home, which was less than two miles from where Everett Carr lived, putting Birch and Henning in the immediate vicinity around the time of the murder. Within a week of the crime, Police interviewed both teenagers, each of whom denied any involvement in Everett Carr's death. Birch, however, did admit to taking the Buick, which he said they stole because they needed a place to live. Based on the information he provided, police found the car abandoned in the woods near a local reservoir. It was filled with trash, food, clothing, blankets, and electronics, Nothing to suggest that it had been wiped clean or even tidied up. Crime scene technicians scoured the Buick, but found no evidence linking Birch or Henning to Everett Carr's murder. Similar searches of the surrounding area and parts of two reservoirs also came up empty. While both men aroused investigators' suspicions, there simply wasn't enough evidence to hold them for murder. That didn't stop police from thinking that Birch and Henning were responsible. For the next three years, state troopers continued trying to make a case against the pair, who were in and out of jail for property and drug crimes. Law enforcement finally caught a break in 1988 
when two inmates who'd served time with Ricky Birch agreed to testify that Birch had confessed to Everett Carr's murder. In return, the two jailhouse informants would receive reduced sentences. Police arrested Sean Henning on November 18th of 1988. Ricky Birch was arrested on January 25th, 1989. Both were charged with felony murder and told they could spend the rest of their lives in prison. The inmates' testimony, along with the circumstantial evidence surrounding the Buick and the teenager's whereabouts the night of the murder, were key to the case, as prosecutors had little else to go on. The lack of forensic evidence was particularly troublesome, given that the crime scene suggested the perpetrator should have been covered in blood. And yet, there was not a trace of blood on the teenagers, their clothing, the Buick, or the clutter inside the car they were living in. In fact, nothing in the house connected the troublesome teenagers to the crime. Not hair, not fibers, not footprints, not even blood. That's where Dr. Henry Lee came in. I geek out on skincare, so when I found a pillowcase that could level up my nighttime skincare routine, I had to try it out. Silk is also great for hair because it reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents hair breakage. My personal favorite thing about my Blissy pillowcase is that it helps retain moisture on my skin because silk doesn't absorb the moisture off your face. Properly moisturized skin leads to less dry, flaky, and red skin in the morning. If you're looking for a unique holiday gift that anyone would love, Blissey's award-winning 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases are perfect for your bougie friends. Plus, it comes in luxurious, gift-ready packaging. And let's talk about the frustrating feeling of flipping over your pillow in the middle of the night to find the cool side, only to find out that both sides of your pillow are hot. Blissey Silk pillowcases are temperature-regulating and they have naturally insulating properties. So if you sweat and overheat at night, Blissey will be a game changer for you. Blissey pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes, and they're great for those with allergies. And unlike other silk pillowcases, these are of the highest quality silk, and they're machine washable, durable, and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. Since switching to Blissey, I'm comforted knowing that all the expensive skincare products that I apply at night are actually staying on my face instead of ending up on my pillowcase. Blissey Silk Pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be the next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash murderish and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash murderish and use code murderish to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy.
Dr. Henry Lee has made a career drawing big conclusions from trace amounts of blood. A drop on a staircase, a smudge on a passenger side door handle, a smear on a pearl white bath towel. The superstar forensic scientist, best known for his testimony in the O.J. Simpson and Scott Peterson trials, was born in communist China in 1938, the 11th of 13 children. Civil war caused Henry Lee's family to flee to Taiwan in the late 1940s. Only his father didn't make it. He perished when the passenger ship he was on sank in the Taiwan Strait. Raised by his mother in a modest home, Lee never aspired to scholarly pursuits. Instead, he earned a degree in police administration and joined the Taipei Police Department. After reporting for duty, Lee discovered he was a natural sleuth. He was promoted to the rank of captain at the age of 22, the youngest in Taiwanese history. With his career path decided, Lee immigrated to the United States with his wife in 1965 and began to pursue the education he never received in Taiwan. He earned a bachelor's degree in forensic science from John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City before matriculating at NYU, where he achieved a PhD in biochemistry. Lee began his tenure as a forensic scientist with the Connecticut State Police in 1973. The 500-person organization is responsible for investigating the state's most serious crimes, those that require more resources than local jurisdictions can afford to give up. Lee rose quickly through the agency's ranks, earning the title of chief criminalist before the age of 40. In 1980, Lee was promoted to director of the state's forensic science laboratory, a position he'd go on to hold for 20 years. World-renowned for his ability to decipher the aftermath of a murder, Lee is considered a pioneer in the field. Having developed never-before-used techniques for bloodstain analysis and crime scene reconstruction, as well as championing the use of DNA evidence before it became widely accepted. Famed pathologist, Dr. Michael Baden, once dubbed Lee a forensic scientist of the highest caliber. Baden said, his expertise, integrity, and commitment to justice are unmatched. According to Harvard University professor, Henry Louis Gates Jr., Lee's work has helped to revolutionize the way that crimes are investigated and solved. The forensic scientist first rose to national prominence for his work on the Heli Crafts case. Crafts was a Danish flight attendant who went missing in November of 1986 from her home in Newtown, Connecticut, the site of the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. At the time of her disappearance, Heli's friends and colleagues were convinced that she was the victim of foul play. The 40-year-old woman had recently begun divorce proceedings to separate from her husband of 11 years, Richard Crafts, whom she discovered was having an affair with another flight attendant. On November 18th of 1986, a co-worker dropped Heli off at the couple's Newtown home after a long flight from Frankfurt, West Germany. She wasn't seen or heard from again. In the weeks that followed, 
Richard Crafts offered Helly's friends various stories to explain why they were unable to reach her, that she was visiting her mother in Denmark, that she was visiting the Canary Islands with a friend, or that he simply did not know her whereabouts. Aware of Richard's volatile temper and the couple's fading marriage, Helly's family became convinced Richard had a hand in his wife's disappearance, but they couldn't convince local police to investigate. Frustrated, Helly's family turned to the county prosecutor, who referred the case to the Connecticut State Police. On December 26, 1986, while Richard was vacationing with his children in Florida, state troopers, accompanied by Dr. Henry Lee, searched his home where they discovered pieces of carpet taken from the primary bedroom floor. The family's nanny recalled that a dark grapefruit-sized stain had appeared in an area of the carpet that later went missing. There was also a blood smear on the side of the bed mattress. Even more damning, Richard's credit card records showed several suspicious purchases made around the time that Helly vanished including the rental of a wood chipper. When news of the wood chipper went public, a snowplow operator by the name of Joseph Hine came forward to authorities, saying that he had observed a man using a wood chipper on the night Helly was last seen by her friends. The wood chipper was parked close to the shore of Lake Zoer, a 10-mile drive from the couple's home. A search of the water's edge produced shocking results. Police recovered three ounces of human tissue, including the crown of a tooth, a fingernail covered in pink nail polish, bone chips, 2,000 bleach blonde human hairs, and O-type blood, the same type as Helly's. Without a body to identify, investigators relied on Dr. Henry Lee, who matched the crown found at Lake Zoer to Helly's dental records. Richard Crafts was found guilty in 1989 and sentenced to 50 years in prison. Six years later, in 1995, Dr. Lee went from noted forensic scientist to true crime celebrity when he was called as an expert witness in the trial of the century, the state of California, versus Orenthal James Simpson. O.J. Simpson, a former professional football player and Hollywood actor, stood accused of the brutal murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, as well as her friend, Ronald Goldman. Over the course of several days on the witness stand, Dr. Lee testified on behalf of O.J. Simpson regarding blood found at the crime scene and at Simpson's residence. Dr. Lee criticized the LAPD's handling of the evidence, suggesting that it could have been contaminated. Prior to Dr. Lee's testimony, members of the LAPD crime lab told the jury that blood found on Simpson's car belonged to Nicole and Ron, and samples taken from the murder scene matched that of O.J. Simpson. In the face of seemingly damning evidence, O.J.'s star-studded defense team used the testimony of Dr. Henry Lee and others to discredit the department's crime lab as incompetent and possibly even corrupt. Among Dr. Lee's key points, 
that LAPD failed to properly protect the integrity of the crime scene, allowing too many people to enter Nicole Brown Simpson's Brentwood home. He also testified that the bloodstained patterns were inconsistent with the prosecution's theory of the case, adding that it was possible for O.J. Simpson to have transferred blood to the victims without getting much blood on himself. Dr. Lee's testimony did not escape criticism. Some experts argue that his conclusions around the bloodstains were based wholly on subjective interpretations, that he did not adequately consider all possible explanations. In the end, O.J. Simpson was acquitted of both murders, although he would later be found criminally responsible in civil court. Dr. Lee's next high-profile appearance came nine years later in the trial of Scott Peterson of Modesto, California, who was accused of murdering his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson, and dumping her body in the San Francisco Bay. The high-profile medical examiner again took the stand for the defense, testifying that blood patterns found on Peterson's boat and in his car told a different story than what was put forth by the state. Dr. Lee said the blood could have gotten on the surfaces in question by accidental transfer or even tampering. He also said under oath that he did not believe Lacey Peterson had drowned in the San Francisco Bay, but instead that she had died before entering the water. Critics accused Dr. Lee of overstating his conclusions and of being biased in favor of the defense. Ultimately, it did not sway the jury, who convicted Peterson of first-degree murder and sentenced him to die by lethal injection. In 2020, the California Supreme Court overturned Peterson's death sentence and sentenced him to life in prison instead. In more recent times, Dr. Henry Lee was consulted about the murder of John Benet Ramsey and as a blood spatter analyst during the trial of Michael Peterson. Peterson, a fiction writer and politician from North Carolina, was convicted in 2003 of murdering his wife, Kathleen, who was found dead at the bottom of the stairs inside their home. Prosecutors in Michael Peterson's case argued that the amount of blood left at the scene proved Kathleen had not died in a fall, but after being struck with a blunt force object. Small business owners dream of the day that they have customers flocking to their store. But the question is, are you ready for it? Do you have a point of sale system that you can trust? If not, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS serves as your retail store's central hub. From processing payments to efficiently managing your inventory, Shopify provides a comprehensive solution for in-person sales. With Shopify, you gain a robust partner that seamlessly integrates your in-store and online transactions, creating a single accurate source of data. You'll be able to track all sales across your business in one place, ensuring you're always in the know about your stock levels. Connect with customers both in-store and online effortlessly. No more wasting time trying to manage multiple platforms 
for sales, inventory, and marketing. Shopify also equips you with user-friendly tools designed for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond, helping drive foot traffic to your store. Accept payments via smartphones, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or opt for Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a proven solution. And remember, Shopify's award-winning support team is there to assist you at every step, ensuring your success all at the tip of your fingers. Elevate your retail game with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash murderish, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash murderish to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash murderish. At Michael Peterson's trial, Dr. Lee offered testimony suggesting that the blood evidence alone did not rule out the possibility that Kathleen tripped and fell. Michael Peterson's guilty verdict was vacated eight years later, and he would eventually be released on probation after agreeing to make an Alford plea. In yet another prominent case, Dr. Lee testified as an expert witness for the prosecution in the first trial of Cal Harris, an upstate New York car dealer accused of killing his wife on the night of September 11, 2001. Since authorities were unable to find a body, the state's best evidence of foul play was blood spatter found on the walls of Harris's garage and kitchen. Dr. Lee told the jury that the blood pattern could only have resulted from someone lower than 29 inches above ground which was in line with the DA's theory of what took place. Harris was convicted at trial not once, but twice, but would later be acquitted at a fourth trial on appeal. In 2023, Harris filed a civil rights lawsuit against the state of New York, alleging that he was wrongfully prosecuted. The lawsuit is still ongoing. In 2008, Dr. Lee was involved in the early stages of the investigation in Orlando, Florida, to find missing toddler Kaylee Anthony, whose body would be discovered six months later in a wooded area not far from her home. Kaylee's mother, Casey Anthony, went on trial for her daughter's murder, but was eventually acquitted. Dr. Henry Lee was not yet a household name when Ricky Birch's and Sean Henning's separate trials began in 1989, nearly four years after Everett Carr's murder. Still, as head of the Connecticut State Crime Lab, Lee's testimony carried significant weight. Testifying at both trials, Lee told the jury how it was possible that the two men could stab and beat Everett Carr for several minutes and not get any of his blood on them. According to the Hartford Current, Lee said the blood spatters on the walls where Carr died were uninterrupted, meaning the killers had not been between Carr and the walls during the struggle, so they did not interrupt the splashing blood. By not interrupting the blood spatters, Lee said the killers might have remained blood-free. 
The crime scene investigator took dozens of pictures inside Everett Carr's New Milford home, which he presented to the jury in a gory slide presentation at both trials. The last slide featured the infamous bloody towel, which police recovered in the upstairs bathroom. At Sean Henning's trial, Lee testified that a slide showed a towel with a reddish color smear, saying, that smear, I did a few tests, show that it is positive, consistent with blood. At Ricky Birch's trial, a defense attorney challenged Dr. Lee about the towel while the jury were excused from the courtroom, asking him what the purpose of the photograph in the bathroom was. Lee responded by saying, the photo was to show the towel containing blood, to which Birch's lawyer asked, human blood? Lee told the attorney he didn't recall if it was animal blood or human blood, causing the defense team to object to the introduction of the slide as evidence. The current wrote about this moment stating, the prosecutor fired back that the slide was properly admissible and Lee should be allowed to testify about what he did with respect to the towel, what he observed and what he had done. After the courtroom debate, the judge allowed the slide as evidence and invited the jury to re-enter the courtroom. Now on the official record, Dr. Lee said the smear on the towel contained blood. The Hartford paper reported, neither the defense nor anyone else challenged Lee, who moments before had acknowledged he didn't know what the stain was. It was during closing arguments at Sean Henning's trial that prosecutor David Shepek suggested the towel was evidence that the teenagers could have cleaned up after the crime. Remember the bloody towel in the upstairs bathroom, Shepek asked the jury? It gave them the opportunity to wash or have some access to that sink. In his final statements at Ricky Birch's trial, Shepek referred only to blood by the bathroom sink upstairs. Jury members in both trials sided with Dr. Henry Lee and the prosecution. Ricky Birch, then 21 years old, was convicted of felony murder and sentenced to 55 years. 20-year-old Sean Henning received a 50-year sentence. Devastated, the two men looked like they might spend their entire lives behind bars for a crime they said they did not commit. Years of appeals by Ricky Birch and Sean Henning went nowhere until 2007, when an appeals attorney working for Ricky Birch won a last-ditch motion to have the case re-examined. Critically, new testing by the state laboratory completed the following year found nothing to confirm the substance found on the towel was in fact human blood. After years of legal motions and court hearings, in 2019, the Connecticut Supreme Court threw out both murder convictions and ordered new trials for Sean Henning and Ricky Birch. The court ruled that Dr. Lee's testimony, now in question, was material to the prosecution's ability to win a conviction because it addressed their greatest challenge convincing 12 jurors that Birch and Henning violently killed Carr, but did not get any blood on themselves or the stolen Buick. 
The towel offered one explanation, and without it, the court wrote, the state's entire case could very well have collapsed. The opinion stated that Dr. Lee had an obligation to review case records and other materials to ensure the accuracy of his testimony before taking the witness stand. The same went for the lead prosecutor, David Shepik. According to the court, to conclude otherwise would permit the state to gain a conviction on the basis of false or misleading testimony, even though the error readily could have been avoided if the witness, Dr. Henry Lee, merely had exercised due diligence. Sean Henning, freed on parole in 2018, was there to greet his longtime friend, Ricky Birch, when he was released from prison after the high court's ruling. The two men did not accept their newfound freedom quietly. In 2020, they filed separate civil rights lawsuits against the men and women they believed sought to frame them for murder. The New Milford Police Department, the town of New Milford, and Dr. Henry Lee. That same year, on July 2nd, 2020, state's attorney Don Gallo moved to dismiss the charges against Birch and Henning outright, contending that all witnesses had either died or recanted, and there was no forensic evidence linking either man to the murder. A judge granted the motion that same day. Three years later, in July of 2023, a U.S. District Court judge ruled that Dr. Henry Lee fabricated evidence by suggesting in open court that the red smear had been tested, when in fact, it had not. In a scathing commentary, Judge Victor Bolden said of Dr. Lee, other than stating that he performed the test, the record contains no evidence that any such test was performed. And there is evidence in this record that the tests actually conducted did not indicate the presence of blood. Dr. Henry Lee has vehemently disputed the high court's findings, telling the press, I have no motive nor reason to fabricate evidence. Lee further said, in my 57 year career, I have investigated over 8,000 cases and never ever was accused of any wrongdoing or for testifying intentionally wrong. This is the first case that I have to defend myself. Despite his attempts to dismiss the controversy, the ruling has sullied Dr. Lee's previously pristine reputation and called into question the outcome of other trials in which Lee provided expert testimony. One matter at issue in the Everett Carr case is the police department's failure to consider other suspects, people like Everett Carr's daughter, Diana Colombo. After finding her father half-naked and covered in blood, Colombo inexplicably waited over 30 minutes to call 911. When she finally did contact police, she told the dispatcher the killer was still in the house, only to deny saying it later. Colombo also lied to investigators about her schedule and whereabouts the night of the crime and eventually explained that she was trying to keep one boyfriend from learning about the other. The Hartford Current wrote about Colombo. Years later, another boyfriend said she threatened him, claiming she would do to the boyfriend 
what she had done to her father. Odd as she sounded, Diana Colombo was never a serious target of either the prosecution or the original trial defense. While Ricky Birch and Sean Henning will never get back the 30 years spent behind bars, they've begun to receive some restitution. In September of 2023, the state of Connecticut agreed to pay the two men $25 million, or about $12.5 million each. The deal covers Dr. Henry Lee and seven state police detectives named in the lawsuit. The case against New Milford and its officers was not settled and could proceed to trial. In response to the deal, attorneys for Ricky Birch and Sean Henning, as well as for the state attorney's general office, said in a joint statement, we are pleased to have reached an agreement in principle to resolve these matters in the best interest of all parties. As part of the agreement, Dr. Henry Lee agreed to withdraw his appeal of U.S. District Court Judge Victor Bolden's ruling that he fabricated evidence. So while the settlement might mean the end to a decades-long legal battle between Birch, Henning, and the state, the fight over Dr. Henry Lee's reputation remains ongoing. Dr. Henry Lee, now 84, is currently in retirement after stepping down last year from his role as Professor Emeritus at the institution he founded and that bears his name, the Henry C. Lee College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven. While he's no longer working on active cases, Dr. Lee still frequently gives lectures and seminars on the subject of forensic science. He's also a consultant to law enforcement agencies and private businesses. The legendary forensic scientist is adamant that neither he nor his colleagues did anything nefarious in the Everett Carr case. Dr. Lee said, Hundreds of areas were tested for the presence of fingerprints, footprints, and biological evidence, including the upstairs bathroom, sink, and the towel in question. I did not participate, nor was involved in any of the subsequent criminal investigations. Dr. Lee said he did test the smear on the towel and the sink with a chemical used in the 1980s to detect the presence of blood, and it came back positive. According to Lee, while the items were placed in evidence bags by a state detective for unknown reasons, the towel was never submitted to the lab for a confirmatory blood test at that time. Dr. Lee takes exception with the notion that he is somehow responsible for Ricky Birch and Sean Henning's fate, stating, I am a forensic scientist and I only present my scientific findings in the court of law. It is not my role to determine what evidence to introduce and what questions to ask a witness during the trial. I was not responsible for the documentation, collection of evidence, and for photographing the scene. He added, Mr. Birch and Mr. Henning did not become suspects until weeks after my December 2nd, 1985 crime scene visit. My scientific findings at the crime scene were completed well before they became suspects. 
The famed investigator has also called into question the state crime lab's 2007 analysis of the towel, 22 years after it was first taken into evidence. Dr. Lee said, a negative finding for blood on the towel 20 years later should not be interpreted as fact that there was never a positive test for the presence of blood on this towel, nor should a quantum leap in thinking be made that this was an attempt to fabricate evidence. It is not only against the scientific principle, but also without any logical reason. This towel was stored at an evidence room for 20 years. It is not unusual for biodegradation, decomposition, or denaturation to occur. In addition, the small amount of blood-like smear evidence may even be consumed during testing or have fallen off the surface of the towel. Dr. Henry Lee's critics remain undeterred, saying that Lee has been willing to push the boundaries of fact and fiction for decades, and that the Everett Carr case is only the first time he's been held accountable. Attorneys Craig Robbie and Jim Cousins, who were involved in winning reversals of the two convictions at the state Supreme Court in 2018, called Dr. Lee's actions outrageous, further stating, this case is a travesty. Sean Henning and Ricky Birch are innocent, but went to prison for 30 years and the real killer got away. For now, Dr. Henry Lee is sure to remain a polarizing figure. Some critics have argued that Lee's testimony in the Birch and Henning case was reckless and unforgivable and that he should be held accountable for the wrongful convictions. Others have defended Dr. Lee, arguing that he made a genuine mistake and that his work on other cases has been exemplary. The controversy surrounding Dr. Lee has raised important questions about the reliability of forensic evidence and the role of expert witnesses in criminal trials. It's also a powerful reminder that even the most respected experts can make mistakes or worse, fabrications. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I launched a brand new podcast along with my friend and co-host Melissa Moore called Lipstick and Lies. On Lipstick and Lies, Melissa and I take turns walking each other through mostly female-centric cases involving lady liars and killers, and we offer our unique perspective as two survivors of crime and women who work full-time in the true crime realm. Lipstick and Lies is available now in all podcast apps. If you enjoy Murderish, do me the biggest favor and leave a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air on Instagram and TikTok. Especially because I recently started a true crime TV club called Serial Streamers. Serial Streamers is just like a book club, only it's a club for people who binge true crime documentaries. If you want to join the Serial Streamers TV club, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram at Jamie on Air and watch for videos about the latest TV series that we're watching together, so you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts on each series. That's Jamie on Air on Instagram. 
Serial Streamers is also available on YouTube at Jamie On Air. Make sure to subscribe while you're watching. If you want ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or at Murderish.com, and then you can start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. Thank you so much to Lynn M. and Judy C. for becoming the latest Murderish Behind the Mic patrons. I appreciate you both so much. This episode was researched and written by Kate Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.